0: Hey friends, welcome back to With a Splash of Jesus. I'm your host, Jordan. We're back for another great conversation. This week we have Gene Troyer. Gene is the founding and lead pastor of Restore Church. Born and raised in Goshen, Indiana, Jean spent 14 years in the food industry, 12 years owning a residential and commercial cleaning company, over 14 years as a local pastor, five and a half years as the lead pastor at Restore, and for the last 18 months as a life and leadership coach. Gene is married to his wife, Brenda, and they have two adult children additionally they have four grandchildren gene and brenda are both heavily invested in marriage matters a relationship coaching program of restore when he is not meeting with groups or individuals or preaching on the weekend you'll find him somewhere immersed in reading a book playing pickleball or enjoying time with family and friends here's this week's conversation with gene Troyer. all right friends we have gene Troyer here on the podcast and i am so excited for the knowledge that he is about to bring today So let's get started. What are you currently reading in the Bible?
1: As you know, we're in the middle of a series on Philippians, and we're going to be launching a new series in about a month in the book of James. And so I'm spending a lot of time in the book of Philippians and in the book of James uh, preparing for this. And what I'm finding is that as I'm reading Philippians again, I am reminded of how powerful this book was in my early faith journey. The amount of encouragement that it gives to stay on focus, stay, tr- stay on track with what God sees in you. And it's, it kind of spoke to me in my early faith journey in that way of just encouragement when I didn't feel encouragement. And then the book of James is just like, that was the thing. It was so down to earth and it was so meeting me right where I was needing to be met in those early years. And that frankly is one of my favorite books. Uh, I have friends that say, I can't stand that book. It's so like down and dirty. And it's, it's just so much talking about behaviors and so much of that conversation going on. And yet for me, it reminds me of where I've been, where I'm going and, and the encouragement that I received from both of these books over the years.
0: Is there anything else that like God is specifically teaching you that really stood out to you in those moments?
1: Well, especially in Philippians. I mean, I grew up in a great home, but you know, uh, when you don't grow up with lots of affirmation and then for me, and I'll just speak for myself, but for me, then stepping into my faith journey, making my faith, my own, my need for affirmation for the steps I was taking did not come from human beings per se but it came from the book of Philippians and other scriptures that I was reading at that time. And so the reminder for me, and I know I'm being a little little bit redundant, but when I realized in this latest reading of Philippians again, that this was my source of encouragement and sort of my strength to do the next right thing came from those moments early in my faith and being immersed in this book.
0: What are you currently reading? What's on your nightstand?
1: You mean the books that I hope I understand and read through osmosis because that's kind of where they are. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, the truth is, I have a book on my nightstand right now called Unreasonable Hospitality The Remarkable Power of Giving People More Than They Expect. And my background is in the hospitality industry. I mean, long before I became a pastor, I was in that industry. And so I love that whole topic. I am pretty good at it. And I am intrigued by what happens when we keep serving people and giving them more than what they expect. And so I'm just a few chapters in at this point, but I know I'm going to love, love this book. It's going to be I'm so gonna good. I'm
0: going to add that to my list of books to read.
1: I'd recommend it.
0: What's something you're so passionate about you can't stop talking about it?
1: You get me started talking about the significance of taking risk in your life and you'll have a hard time shutting me down. And it's developed over the years. But once you get to my age and I'm looking back on my life and I'm realizing that I did some things when I was young that I didn't realize the extent of the risk that it was. And so I am very passionate about uh, encouraging people to keep taking risks we do ourselves and our families a great disservice if we we don't become all that God's created us to be. And if I can help people become the best version of themselves, that's what I always, always, always hope to be able to do. And that's what I really can't stop talking about. When it comes to life and leadership, I'm passionate about helping people just realize all of themselves.
0: So this week's topic is on biblical manhood, and this can be a really tricky topic for some people. But before we dive into that, I want to hear your story about finding your identity in Jesus and what that's looked like for you.
1: Well, I always hope when I think about this, I always hope that other people don't have to wait as long as I did. To kind of come to the understanding of what is true about me and what is true about my relationship with Jesus. I mean, I'm almost 60 and I've only for the last decade have I really began to trust what God has put in me. And depending on your life experience, there is this propensity toward believing the words of people more than what is inside of you. And when we're walking the way of Jesus, when we have a a faith experience with Jesus, that surely ought to be the loudest voice when it comes to recognizing who we are in Jesus. But unfortunately, that voice is often uh, hijacked by the voice of other human beings. And especially if those human beings have authority positions in our lives. So, parents, pastors, teachers, you name it, counselors. And uh, what, what helped me was being able to recognize that with the Holy Spirit inside of me, My identity changes and now I, I am able to operate out of not just my human intellect and the giftings that God's put inside of me, but I have this helper, if you will, that Jesus promised. And that helper uh, continues to shape and mold me and give me wisdom and give me insight. And because of that, my identity has been strengthened in my faith journey. And so it's kind of the long answer, but I would just simply say that when we begin to trust that the Intuition we have, the the wisdom, the 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 knowledge that we have does not is not just derived from our own work, our own experience, our own ability to perceive, but it is actually uh, there's a deep seated confidence that comes from knowing that I can trust that because I have the Spirit of God in me and. In the moments where I begin to question a decision or I begin to question a a prompting, to be discerning in that moment is very important. But with the Spirit's work in us, we can begin to make decisions that are wisely discerned. And that, for me, has been the place where confidence in not just in myself, but in who God has said I am, that identity piece is confirmed when I really begin to lean into what the spirit is saying to me.
0: And would you say that the more you listen to the spirit, the easier it is? Because I feel like for me in my faith journey, it's not, it it wasn't just one day it clicked and suddenly I could hear the spirit so clearly. It's the more I lean into it, the easier it becomes.
1: Yes. That is why I typically refer to the faith experience as a faith journey, because in any journey you start somewhere. And for most of us, it is a progressive experience. So this religious term of or theological term of progressive sanctification, we are sanctified as we go. And so, yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> I definitely believe that the more you listen, the more, the easier it becomes to identify the right voice, because we all have multiple voices talking to us. And we have the voices of our past, we have voices of our present, and we have the voices of our future. And which ones we listen to will determine how our future will look, because we're informed by the past, present, and we will be informed by the future as well.
0: So everyone has their own definition of what biblical manhood means, and we kind of touched on this about how it is a tricky topic. What's your definition?
1: Oh, I thought a lot about this, Jordan. First of all, biblical manhood, when you first approached me about the subject, kind of made me cringe because there's a lot of, as you said, misunderstandings and definitions out there. The answer to your question is that... I believe biblical manhood in just a brief sentence is, is humble leadership that is willing to deny oneself for the honor of others. For me, that's the working definition that I personally can work with when it comes to biblical manhood. So humble leadership, willing to to deny oneself for the honor of others. You know, if I give you certain words, I think of words like serving, biblical man, A man that is uh, following Jesus, because we get those two things confused sometimes, because in the Bible, there are multiple pictures of what men are. And it's a little bit tempting to put it in a box because in the in the Christian world, it it sometimes feels like biblical manhood, biblical womanhood are put in boxes. And if you fit in that box, and if you have these descriptors, if you have these qualities, well, you fit in that box. If you don't have these things then you automatically don't fit the box. And so there's something wrong with you. And sometimes it's this idea that a biblical man, for example, is going to be like the burly guy beating his chest, you know, uh, eating lots of meat. <laughs> I mean, that's just the, you know, that's like the manly man. When in fact, we all have feminine characteristics, even if we're men. Uh, women have some male characteristics. Some, I mean, it it's not so standardized. And so I believe that it is deeper than just what we see on the outside. And I believe biblical manhood requires us to be serving others. It requires us to be kind and gentle and honest. It requires us to be trustworthy. I believe it requires us to be courageous, to live in this world and live as a follower of Jesus that subscribes to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, like his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Like if we're going to do that. It takes a tremendous amount of courage and it requires us to be the opposite of what the world would point to and say, this is how you should be. And even the church world sometimes, like depending on the circumstances, um, it feels like you still have to make a decision to do what is maybe the unexpected or the unnatural to move against the, the, uh, the accepted norms. What isn't in my list is words like uh, biblical manhood is uh, competitive, driven, strong, self-confident, you know, bold and brash. I mean, I suppose you could be. It doesn't mean that you're not. I think uh, competitiveness is good. I'm competitive. I'm driven. I'm strong. Like these are all characteristics that can be uh, describing a biblical man, but often those are at the expense of my first descriptors. And that's why I gave those first, because I don't want to be competitive for the sake of or at the expense of being a person that serves Mm -hmm. first, a person that is kind and a person that's gentle.
0: Well, and you use words like kind, humble, servant, those all imitate Jesus. And I think what better man to look at when you're trying to think of who you want to be. There's there's no better picture. It's the perfect model. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. So what man outside of Jesus do you look to and what kind of man you want to be? Like, what is, who's your favorite male Bible character?
1: I love this question. My favorite male Bible character is probably sounds cliche, and my next answer is going to be cliche too, but let'll expound on it. Like David is probably uh, at least one of my favorite Bible characters. and for the simple reason that he messed up so much, and yet God over, you know, God just he was endeared to him. and God said, "You're a man, yeah, you know, he's a man after my own heart. There's nothing better than that to be called a man after God's own heart even though the failures of uh, of being a human being on earth are prevalent and they're there and he's honest about them. And yet his default is to concur with God that he has sinned and repent and start again. When I think about Going after the things that we are called to do, to be passionate about the future, to be uh, all in when it comes to developing and helping each other grow as people of God, and in our careers and in all of life, parenting. Recognizing that there are times when we will drop the ball and we do it on the regular, and yet, what do we do after that? How do we bounce back? How do we come back from that and actually get back on the journey? I believe that's uh, that's why David, for me, is uh, is one of my favorite Bible characters.
0: I agree with you in that, that we have to remember that even if we fall off that track, that God's not disqualifying us from that. I think there's, that's a great example. If there's one piece of advice you had to give any man struggling to be a man of God, what would it be?
1: Learn to serve. T- to serve from a place that is not gratuitous or out of compulsion, but it is out of a sense of duty. If you have a hard time serving people, start with a sense of duty. This is what's required of me. And eventually has been my experience is that I actually learn something new. I value people more when I serve them. It's easy to make judgments on people as you observe them in the community. And when you sit across the table from them and you're uh, serving them in some way or, or another, the amount of learning that happens and the value that you begin to feel for other people that is easy to dismiss when in fact you only know them by what you see. So I think serving is absolutely the ticket, if you will. And I know this may be a simplified answer, but it's one that I think is so critical. And I uh, I feel like most of us uh, in some form or another struggle with that aspect of uh, what it means to really lay down our lives for the good of others, my dad is—he's eighty-five—and I haven't always felt this way, but now I try to emulate his kindness and graciousness, his his soft-spokenness, like those characteristics of my dad. Like if I can emulate those, I know that I'm a whole lot more like Jesus, and. He just, he simply has a way of valuing the people around him in ways that I keep trying to emulate and try to be like. And so if I were to say, who is it other than Jesus? Well, I, th- I think it's my dad.
0: Mm, I love that. And I, what I hear you saying in a lot of advice that you've taken is you look to others. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to necessarily like use the term mentor, but you just watch what they do and you want to emulate that. So CJ and I have had the privilege of being mentored by you and Brenda, and you guys talk a lot about a mindset and the power of spoken words over you. Can you tell us why this has become something that you are so passionate about?
1: So there are certain memories that I have of words being spoken over me, both negative and positive. Human nature usually points to the negative things that are spoken over says the things that are the very loudest in our minds. And I, I believe there's an enemy of our souls that we commonly call the devil or Satan. As the scriptures tell us, he's prowling around like a roaring lion, and he is trying to dismember us, if you will. And he often does that through the mind. And so the words that were spoken to me... When I was very, very young are the words at 60 years old that I'm still remembering. And if I, I don't believe them anymore. They're still there in my memory. I don't believe them anymore. I, on the flip side of that, I have had many words spoken to me that were encouraging that I had a mentor that didn't uh, formally mentor me. It was an organic relationship, but he was a couple of decades older than me and took me under his wing and just spoke life over me and believed things in me that I did not see. He pulled them out. like he, he just had this ability to pour himself out and spoke into my life in ways that I can never repay. I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for that. And so the words that were, have been spoken to me, both positive and negative, are so incredibly powerful. And fortunately for me, I believed the right words. And eventually the words that were spoken that were negative took a back seat. So that comes, that ability to believe the right things comes with a mindset change, a shift in the way we think. And that again is a, for most of us, is a really long process. So when I am talking about mindsets and how we think, Paul, I, I constantly go back to the renewing of our minds that Paul talks about and how significant it is. We want to say in the Christian community, we want to say, Oh, just say the right words. Like, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Okay, you're good. We got that taken care of. Well, that's sort of true. But this process of beginning to think the ways of Jesus, to renew our minds constantly, is a long, tedious process. And it requires a lot of courage. It requires a lot of diligence in making sure that we put the right things in our minds in order to be able to think differently. And so that has been life transforming for me. And so that speaks to the passion I have around that topic.
0: I think people don't realize like how much words spoken over you shape you and shape the mindset that you have. So I always go back to John ten ten. 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the Lord comes to give you life and life to the fullest. Where does those words that were spoken over you fall into? Do they fall into steal, kill, or destroy, or do they fall into life and life to the fullest? So for me, that's been a good mindset change. Yes.
1: And that is a good filter through which to put those words. Yeah. Yes, that's really good.
0: I feel like society says that in order to achieve that biblical manhood status, you have to be a husband. But there's so much more to biblical manhood than being a husband. You yourself, you're a leader of our church. You're a father, a grandfather. You know, I could go on and on with all these titles. How does scripture help you in all of these
1: roles? I'm going to go back to the thing that I said earlier about, um, you know, if you don't know how to be a... A biblical, if you're not, if you're not living into biblical manhood, what do you do? Like what, what, and I said, learn to serve. Um, the scripture that always speaks very loudly to me in this is Matthew. It's in, uh, Matthew, Mark and John, I think, but Matthew 20, 28 is, uh, it simply says your attitude must be like my own for I, the Messiah did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so Biblical manhood doesn't mean that you have to have any of those uh, titles that you described, like husband or father, grandfather, that sort of thing. Uh, It simply requires you to live with the expectation that you're here to serve those around you. It is so counterculture, and it is so difficult to do, especially when we have goals we have initiatives that we're trying to 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 complete. Sometimes those things are the thing that is uh, that keeps us from actually living into this idea of uh, what it means to be a man that is worthy of the name. Man, I just I I'm not sure that we've served our young men very well with the ways in which society has, and and when I say society, I mean, I'm also including the church in that, that we've had this skewed vision for what it looks like. And it's really difficult because we want those that come after us. We want them to achieve. We want them to live well. And sometimes we are tempted to to shortcut that process and we become impatient with the process. And we have expectations around those that come after us as to how quickly they will become who we think they should be. And to be able to give them the time that it takes to shape themselves and for us to influence that shaping as they come along is so significant and important.
0: I think it goes back to that, like, what's the loudest voice that you're hearing? Because in, like, if you look at Instagram, you have all these multi-million dollar pastors that have warped this view of what biblical manhood looks like. Whereas that's like, that's not what God wants. Ephesians 525 says, for husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's words he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves their wife actually shows love to himself. I think a lot of people get confused about what exactly this means for a man to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Could you kind of help Give us a better understanding of this. I think people just get so caught up on, like, what does
1: that mean? I'll give it a shot. We really, really, really love ourselves. We really like to take care of ourselves, to feed ourselves, to pamper ourselves. And, you know, uh, some people would say, well, all of those things require a lot of money. No, they don't. It is a lot of the, the things uh, that actually happen in our minds again. And uh, we want to self protect. We have, uh, we're inclined towards being most concerned about our own wants, needs, and desires. And if we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that means that we will place ourselves somewhere down the line and not at the top of the line. And I don't know about you, Jordan, but my experience is that I want to be right. I don't want to be wrong. I want to be right. I remember, and my, my, we might've told you in CJ's story, I don't know, uh, but we went into a, we were in a season of life where my kids were little and I was working an unbelievable amount of hours, like as away from home more than I was at home. Brenda was, for all intents and purposes, single-handedly raising our kids. And this went on for quite some time and for a couple of years. And I remember coming home and uh, her attempting to talk to me. And I don't remember what approach she took. Doesn't really matter. But I remember that she brought something to my attention that was problematic for her. A behavior or a, a response or something. And I, instead of attempting to hear her, I became very defensive. And then she told me, and my wife's pretty smart. She's a wise voice in my in my uh, life. And she said, what you just did and how you responded devalued my opinion. You just told me that what I had to say didn't matter. And I have to say that was really painful to hear because my intention in that moment was not to hurt her, but it was to defend my own position. I wanted to be right. And when we as men do that, we tend to dishonor our wives. And I believe that when Christ looks at the church, he has nothing but compassion for his people and empathy and as he has loved the church and laid down his life for her those same ingredients are the success factors in our own relationships and when we ignore those and we determine that we will be right at all cost we sacrifice this relational intimacy that husbands and wives can have and as we can have with Christ as well.
0: Oh, I have goosebumps. (laughs) On that same sticky, confusing topic as headship. Um, And some people have...
1: (laughs) Do you have any other easy questions?
0: (laughs) I think I have a couple in there. Um, Some people have the mindset that headship may be control or emotional abuse, but scripture is very clear that God hates both control and abuse. So from your perspective, what does true... Headship look like.
1: So, if someone already has the mindset that uh, headship is something like control or emotional abuse, like if that is the descriptor we have for headship, we're already very confused. That is not a biblical perception or a like I like to say, it is not the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus calls us to prioritize and prefer. So that's how I think about. Headship. I think about headship in terms of is my ability to lead centered on my ability to prioritize others above myself, including my wife, including my family, and preferring, like laying my preferences down. I don't like to do either one of those things. I don't like to prioritize other people. If I'm truly, truly honest, my natural inclination is to prioritize myself and to prefer myself. And we cannot lead. I don't care if it's in the family or if it's in a business or organization, our leadership is capped with our ability to prioritize and prefer the other. If we cannot move beyond the a very, very basic uh, level of prioritizing and preferring others, if we can't move beyond that, we will not continue to grow in our capacity to lead people others and it it caps us in most aspects of life and frankly it does it limits people in their abilities to grow and lead and influence when they are um and i know this is this is still coming back to being self-centered but so much of of biblical manhood is about looking out and being able to see the need, serve others—that's so much about what the, what this is about. And uh, it's 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 coming back to this prioritizing and preferring others.
0: In what ways have you had to overcome headship challenges in your relationship with Brenda?
1: Yeah, well, we're both firstborns, okay. and and so our. Uh, ability to navigate that has really, because we've had, um, we worked, I mean, she's not an employee at restore at the church, but you know, she's very active and leads here. And, um, we have had multiple businesses that we've had that we've owned. And, and so we had to learn how to allow each other to like, man, just learn how to be in our, stay in our lanes, essentially. I guess is how I say it a lot is like, she stayed in her lane. I stayed in mine. And that's how we sort of figured out how to not just live with each other, but how to do business with each other, how to, how to, how to work with each other and recognize our gifts and talents. And know that there are certain areas that she's gifted in, certain areas I'm gifted in. Sometimes those things overlap and that's where humility is really, really required. Because when we uh, lead from our strengths, for us, it has been necessary for us to value The other person's strengths and even when they do things differently than we would do it, like being able to see that part of it. And I always talk about being curious, like being curious about other people, uh, being curious about my spouse, being curious about Brenda. Like, why does she do the things that she does? Like, I think I know her pretty well. But she still surprises me after 35 years. There's times when I'm like, what? Why do you think that way? It's been very, I would say that has been very challenging in our relationship to be able to remain curious and not make assumptions. Because when we're married for as long as we've been, it becomes easy to think that I've got it figured out. And to for our curiosity to be, well, for, for us not to be curious about each other and just make assumptions about the intent or of what was just said or the action that was just taken. And I think to remain curious and not make assumptions is great for great advice for all relationships, but especially when in our case like I said we're firstborns and we both think we're right and we both think that we have the better idea. And unless we listen well to each other, we well, we've learned how to listen to each other and that's why we've survived.
0: That's fair. That's fair. So the Bible calls men to be protectors over their wives and their children, but not just physically, spiritually also. What does this look like?
1: Oh, well, this is another one. If you fit in the box, then you're good. But, but I mean, and I'm, I'm saying that facetiously, obviously, yeah. but we do want to say that uh, there are specific ways that a man conducts himself a spirit, from a spiritual aspect that are approved within the church community. And what I always tell a young families, young men is that you need to be disciplined in your approach. You need to be disciplined. You yourself need to be disciplined. What do you put in your mind? How do you actually lead from a place of emptiness? You don't. You either have to be, you have to keep filling yourself so that you can, so you can pour out to your family, so that you can lead well with your family and i think one of the challenges especially in today's world and you know i say that a lot i guess but it's probably more of just a human experience of if you are a man that is driven to achieve then sometimes the ways in which you experience success uh, we can look at it by saying that we have worked really really hard to get to where we are okay so that's true that's a value and it's true but If we don't take care of the interior of our lives and focus only on the exterior, we are going to run up against it. And our families aren't going to do well if we are not paying attention to what's going on inside of us. And so uh, the most difficult thing for most men to do is to take care of what's inside, frankly. I mean, we just, we, especially, like I said, if we're driven to achieve, then um, we want to do the things that are, that are going to make, that are going to be visible. And what happens on the inside of us? Eventually it's going to be visible. It may not be visible right away, but it will come. And when it does, then we pay the consequences. And so to give spiritual leadership and to protect our families spiritually, I believe the most significant thing we can do is pray for our families. And, you know, again, we men, we believe we're strong and we, um, we sometimes come from the perspective that God's kind of the last thing that we think about. That's the last thing that we think about. Exercising is the power that comes through prayer. And I'll admit like it's, it's been a challenge in my own life and one that I'm continuing to learn and lean into.
0: So you said you're almost 60. When you're looking back at the journey that you've been through being a man of God, what advice would you give your younger self?
1: Uh, you know, I've, um, I've thought about this because I, I like to think that if I was able to talk to my younger self, that I would, uh, that I would tell them, tell him to, to be more quick to listen and, um, not discount the people uh, around me quite as quickly, uh, to be less cocky and, and, um, and more humble. But here's what I know, Jordan. I don't know if my younger self would listen to that. Even if I could go back and tell it, the result of being self-assured and that's a nice way of saying cocky, but the result of that also made me who I am today. And the rough edges, had I not had some of these, the experiences that at the time were excruciating and painful, if I wouldn't have had those, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you. And I probably would be on a different trajectory. And yet those uh, were humbling. You know, life is humbling. Life has a way of humbling us. And I believe that I'm a better person, a better man. I am probably more like Jesus today. Not there yet, but more like Jesus because of some of the detours and, um, making a left turn when I should have made a right turn experiences.
0: Do you have any books or resources that have been helpful to you related to the vocal manhood or mindset or anything that we've talked about today?
1: There's two I'm going to recommend. Well, one of these is, is kind of for the younger audience too. It's a, it's an Instagram account called, and he has a um, podcast as well. It's called dad tired. Dad tired on Instagram and that'll get him to, you know get you to his his blog and um uh, podcast as well. Uh the other one is the Battle Ready podcast and um I can't recommend that enough. The Battle Ready podcast has a lot to do with uh spiritual mindsets and just a lot of practical advice around right thinking. It's been really powerful.
0: Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to say before we close out? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I, would, I would simply want to say for those men in the audience that are, or women for that matter, that are struggling with either one of these subjects of biblical manhood or biblical womanhood, ask God about it. Study the scriptures, yes, of course. But spend time asking Jesus to inform you of what this looks like for you. You don't have to be a cookie cutter version of the person beside you. You're created individually with gifts and talents that are unusual, that are for the good of the others around you, for the world around you. And so spend time asking God, just how do I ex, how do I live into this? How do I become all that you've called me to be? Because you are called to be something entirely different than the person next to you. And sometimes when we get confused about What is true about us? If we don't live into like the, our own, I, the identity that we have, especially if we're not aligned with Jesus in something, we have this propensity toward comparison. And if I don't look, think, act, talk like the person that maybe I admire, then somehow I'm not measuring up. And that couldn't be the furthest from the truth lean into the uniqueness of you as an individual god's created you for a purpose Rick warren always said he's created you for a purpose on purpose or on purpose for a purpose however he said that and i believe that i believe each one of us has a purpose that we are called to live out and uh, we make a big big grave mistake when we uh sit in comparison and uh feel like we don't have what it takes to to come to the table i think jesus says you do
0: well, I know that. I appreciate hearing that advice and I'm sure many others do as well. At the end of every episode, we love to do just a couple rapid fire questions just to end us out. So what is your go-to coffee order?
1: It is dark, black, okay, boring and plain, dark and black.
0: What's the last thing you watched on TV?
1: Probably, it's been a while, uh, American Idol.
0: If someone wrote a book about your life, what would the title be?
1: Oh, maybe it would be called in process. That's where I find myself, in process.
0: If our guests want to follow you, where can they find you?
1: So I have a blog at genetroyer.com and I'm on Instagram as Jean Troyer. Facebook's the same.
0: Awesome. Well, Jean, thank you so much for being here. It's been an honor talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a reading and review. Our podcasts are edited by Nick Berkey. If you have a story you want to share, please reach out through the form on Instagram. I pray that you can take action this week and make a splash.